Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.high5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy high5gear.com. Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me on the Above180.com podcast is Jeff Riggles. You can find out more about Jeff by checking out 11thframe.com. Jeff, it's Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be here, Tim. All right, Jeff. Well, I thought it'd be a great time as we kind of wrap up 2018 and look forward to 2019 to chat with you and talk about some of the major stories that impacted bowlers across the country, including the PBA, USBC. So let's begin right there with the USBC. In in your opinion, what is the biggest story that came out of Arlington, Texas this year? Well, uh, not to be... uh too immodest here, but for sure the biggest story that came out was the story I did in April on Chad Murphy and his conduct as executive director. Um, That wasn't exactly news that I broke by myself. Uh, It came from uh, on-the-record comments uh, from Steve Wonderlich and Neil Stremmel, who worked at USBC uh, as executives there, and then John Burke, who went through the uh, process attempting to be a member of the board of directors um, a couple of times. And then uh, Tim Robin, another former USBC employee, chimed in afterwards on the record. And and I had uh, a good somewhere in the range of a dozen to two dozen people who contacted me after that that had involvement either as employees or working with um, Arlington and USBC uh, who backed up everything they said and uh, but didn't want to go on the record themselves for fear of retribution and their current positions uh, in the sport. Um, I think that was uh, uh, probably no matter what I write for the rest of my career as a bowling writer or anything that came before it, that certainly will be the most impactful story I did. And for anybody that's wondering what we're talking about, I can't imagine that if you're a bowling fan that listens to this show. But if you are, it's uh, a story I set free from the beginning. You don't have to be a subscriber and you can just uh, go to the search box at 11frame.com and put in the word bully and you'll get it. Um, uh, but obviously, you're most interested, though, in hearing what within all of the stuff at USBC impacts the bowlers, correct? That's correct, Jeff. So let's begin right there, then. That story, you did a lot of background, a lot of research for the story. Um, did you expect, though, the feedback that you had got, both positive and negative, when you put out that story and then made it free for all the masses to read? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I knew when I was writing that story, I basically devoted two weeks of my life <laughs> to it where I hardly did uh, hardly did anything except work on that story and related stories. Um, and I knew what I knew what it was going to be once I got uh um, got on, got Neil and uh, Steve to go on the record, and you know I I had this story for a long time. Part of it was my own personal experience with Chad from uh, over the years, uh, beginning back when he was in not even at USBC executive director position. Um, uh, when I'd first written about how college bowling was uh, going to hide the lane patterns, and I wrote a story, you know, ripping into that because I think that's one of the worst things anybody can do is to not be transparent about lane conditions. And I've always felt that way. And I was astounded. He came to me that night uh, that I published that story. And I didn't even, I, I knew him only from um, bowling in say the 1990s, early 2000s and team challenges and stuff. I didn't even know him personally. And um, I knew, I didn't even know that if I, as I recall that he was behind that, uh, that move, but uh, he came at me with Facebook messages and was, just, uh, you know, the word bully is there, um, trying to intimidate me and, and want me to change my opinion. And I, you know, I had to set him straight that you're, you're not talking to somebody you can push around here. You're talking to a independent member of the media and I've got my opinion on the issue and we should just agree to disagree here. And this was, you know, this goes back, I think this was 2012 and he was before he went into USBC. And then when he went there, I actually, if you go back and look, uh, a couple people as, to make fun of me, I guess, posted, reposted the story. I, I supported him when he went in there because he's a serious bowler. And I hoped, uh, you know, working with uh, the DeSocios closely that we could, you know, had somebody in there besides it or different than Stu Upson, who was a non-bowler, who was the head that of USBC that he replaced. So I had great hopes for Chad, despite our little, I just figured that was one issue where we agreed to disagree. And, you know, over time, if you're not 100% with Chad, eventually he's going to come at you and you're going to find yourself on the, the receiving end of, of his um, bullying attempts. And I certainly, as I recounted in that story, uh, it was after the 2015 announcement of changes starting with the 2017 Open Championships. He called me one night out of the blue. It wasn't a scheduled interview or anything, so I didn't record it or anything like that. I didn't know what it was going to be. And it was, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, it was a three-hour phone conversation, as I wrote in there. Um, he went from trying to bribe me, basically by saying, you know, I can build, we can, you can use the full force of USBC social media and build 11thframe.com to 10,000 subscribers. You know, I have about 1,500. And then uh, when I said I wasn't interested in that, that's not how I operate. Um, you know, then he, he went from trying to convince me that his positions were right to, and then threatening me, you know, we'll cut you off and all that, which is what has happened eventually. It didn't happen then because we went, uh, you know, basically after three-hour phone conversation, we, I guess we agreed to disagree again, I thought. And things actually were pretty good for quite a while until, uh, you know, we had a nice professional relationship, I thought, and agreed to disagree. And then uh, for some reason, the story I wrote about Weber and their suspension and Del Warren um, when they used the ineligible player, for some reason that really bothered him. And, and, I, and I never did figure that one out. I don't really understand because that was about bowling's amateur rules that go back forever you know that stuff that's it's how bowling's always been I, I think it's silly and it has really nothing to do with him personally he didn't create the rules and i actually supported what usbc did in there it was the right thing to do the you know and weber admitted that they made a mistake they you know they deserve punishment but for some reason whatever that story something about that story bothered him and you know they haven't responded to a single 
single request for comment since then from me. And uh, and then, of course, everyone knows in March this year, they announced all the changes for the Open Championships starting in 2019. And that one included the ridiculous, absurd college rule, which I you know called them out on. And, and it created kind of a firestorm. That was a Friday. It was actually announced, as you might recall, like 13 minutes after entries opened for 2019, they announced all the changes, which is really ridiculous. And I'd already entered our teams, and then all of a sudden I'd realized I'd entered illegal teams because of some of the rule changes. But the biggest thing was the college rule, and then there was such a firestorm over the weekend that they scheduled a conference call with bowling media for, I think it was the next Monday night. It might have been Tuesday. I can't remember. Um, but I ended up, of course, being on that conference call, and that was one of the few times you ever heard Chad Murphy admit he was wrong about something. Um, and that was in the timing of announcing it after entries had opened. And that conference call was a good 90 minutes long, and I stayed up that night writing all night long. I never went to bed because I transcribed the whole thing and wrote three stories and then worked my regular job from 4 a.m. until 1 p.m. and then did some more writing until like 3 p.m. and I was up. So I was up for like from Monday morning until Tuesday afternoon or maybe it was Tuesday morning till Wednesday afternoon. And then that's where I started, you know, sniffing around and in got in contact with Neil and Steve. And that's where the, the those changes that were announced in March there is where that prompted people, it's time to come forward and uh, and got guys that would go on the record and then spent the next couple of weeks writing that story that I believe it was uh, April 6th, Friday, April 6th, that I published it. And, uh, you know, you, you can see in the story that's free at the bottom is a link to the uh, original Facebook posting on my page with hundreds and hundreds of comments. And, of course, it was shared numerous times where there was comments also. And, you know, basically the, the, the bottom line in that story is the, I put it out there that the emperor has no clothes, as we say. And I think, uh, you know, whatever's happened since then, people at least now know the true nature of, of him and, uh, and USBC. All right. So along with that story, you said there were a bunch of comments. There were some people that were sticking up for the USBC and, and Chad and some of his moves and decisions he's made, though. What are your thoughts on what was said there regarding that? And even some people that called out the journalistic integrity of the piece being more of a, an opinion piece on Chad, which you would find at the traditionally the back of a newspaper as opposed to what you find on your front page and as a top headline story. Well, I would have liked to have not been a part of the story and just had it be Neil and and uh, and Steve and John Burke. But unfortunately, Chad made me part of the story by that phone call and his efforts to bribe and bully me. Um, and uh, after discussing it with, you know, I, I ran, I actually ran the story by uh, one of our senior editors here at the Wisconsin State Journal, where I, I work at Madison.com, the online portion of the capital newspapers here in Madison. <clears throat> and he graciously agreed to read it. And we discussed, you know, how do I handle this part? And he said, well, it's going to be a combination. Uh, you know, it's going to be partly an opinion story because you can't leave out your part of this because it's too material to what's going on. I mean, I it would have been totally false for me and non-transparent to not explain my personal, you know, dealings with Chad because they go directly to how he did, how he's dealt with other people. Um, so it had to be included. There was no way for it not to be included. And of course, there's going to be people, you know, mostly, I'll tell you this much, other than very close friends and family of Chad, I did not have one person that came to me complaining about that story. <laughs> I mean, they were people that either work with him or our family or our friends. Um, and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. 
At no point has anyone successfully disputed any facts in that story, not one. And uh, I made an open offer at the top of that story from the beginning to the USBC board, any member, and to Chad himself. I, you can write a response to this, and I will run it without any editing, um, so long as there's nothing in there that puts me in any legal jeopardy, you know, any libel or slander. Um, and I'll run it without you can have your say completely with, I'll just run it verbatim. And they didn't take that opportunity either. If you recall, the board of directors that weekend, by coincidence, was having one of its meetings, and they put out a one-page um, <clears throat> one, one um, statement, um, basically backing Chad. And from that, then, I went back and forth with uh, Frank Wilkinson and uh, and Kathy DeSocio, the president and vice president of the board at that time. Um, and you know, they were like, oh, we I said, I have a lot more questions than this, and we'll send them over. And I said, well, we're going to go by the book here, and uh, we're going to do an interview, recorded interview, and you're not going to get the questions in advance. Um, I'm going to do it just like it would be done. You know, there's not going to be no courtesy here. You know what the topics are, obviously, and then they declined that opportunity. Um, obviously, what I've experienced before is you send stuff over and I believe they're, they sit with their lawyer or run up by their lawyer and you get lawyerly answers. I wanted to do an interview where I had a chance to ask follow-up questions based on their answers and they declined that. So then I wrote a follow-up story that included, um, here's all the questions I wanted to ask them. And if they ever want to answer them, that's, they're welcome. I'll, I'll, do it anytime you want. And of course, there's been no response to it then, or there would have been a follow-up story. And I sent the same thing on to uh, the new uh, president, Carl Kielich, um, after he took office in August. Um, he's the new USBC president and have not received a response to that email, which doesn't surprise me. That's what I expected, but it's still my obligation to offer them the chance to respond to things whenever they want. So um, I, I, I stand by the story 100%. Um, it's been vetted by, you know, professional journalists of, of great, a great veteran covering politics and uh, University of Wisconsin, and, and which I have done too. Um, so I, I got, I have nothing but uh, standing 100% behind the story. Okay, and out, out of Arlington too, what are some of the bigger things this year that are going to, some, some changes, announcements that are going to have the effect on the, the average bowler, the Joe Bowler out there? Sure. Well, I, I think there's two things that are most impactful on the average bowler out there. And of course, the first one is the Open Championship changes, because there's a lot of people out there that have had to make adjustments to their teams or um, bowl with different people, drop bowlers. Um, and uh, I mean, like, if you're a 140 average college bowler, starting in 2019, you have the same status as a PBA regional member. Uh, or a PBA member who doesn't have a PBA tour title, you have the same status. Or a um, Team USA member uh, who hasn't reached 60 years old, which would be me. Um, so obviously that's caused a lot of people to have to you know, make switches, and it'll be interesting to see some of the teams' uh, makeups we'll see in 2019. Uh, I know some of them already, like Vernon Peterson is going to be bowling with Adam Barta's team, I believe, the last I'd heard. Um, and it's interesting that, uh, and I'm not picking on Adam here, but Adam's without a doubt, would you agree? One of the, probably the, the 10 top 10 competitors in the open championships currently. Oh yes, most definitely. He has less status than a 140 average college bowler as far as being restricted on who he can bowl with. So anyone that wants to defend the way they've got the rules set up now, 
That's the first thing I can tell you. <laughs> and if you want to defend that, well, good luck to you. But um, that's nothing against Adam, um, but, but that's the nature of the rules. And then uh, the second thing, obviously, that's going to be of the biggest concern to the average bowler is uh, the new ball technology rules. And as I wrote, every time I wrote about the topic, you can have any rules you want. I don't care. I'm going to bowl. I bowled with plastic balls when I started and rubber balls when I started. I'm so old. And I went through with urethane and resin and all the all the cores. And it doesn't matter to me. I'll, you make the rules. I'm going to bowl as much as I still bowl at 56 and falling apart. But so I don't I don't particularly care what the rules are. Um, the only thing I ever had a concern with is that the USBC spent so much uh, time, energy, money, and political capital uh, for what I pretty much saw as a fruitless effort to rein in ball technology because the you know the ball companies were going to oppose it. it I mean, it, everyone had been telling me, sources here and there, that you know, if they go too far, there'll be lawsuits. So uh, I didn't ever understand how this was going to accomplish anything for bowling except distract us from the important things, which is trying to grow membership and tournament entries and positive stuff. And what we ended up with then for the average bowler is a series of rules that I don't think really, basically they just cap things as they are now. And then may, uh, as far as ball cover stocks, and then, which is fine, and then created um, this extra thing with the weight holes or what will be a lack of weight holes starting in 2020. And, uh, and, then, it, and then, of course, later in the year, they came in and said, well, we're going to give you the option for the three ounces of uh, maximum side and uh, thumb finger weight right away August 1st of this year with no weight hole. We'll have that option instead of it was going to be until, of course, August 1st, 2020, and then there was going to be the total that was going to be the rule. But from now until 2020, we now have this option between the two things. But when it comes to 2020, anybody out there who has a bowling ball that has a weight hole in it has to plug it. Um, so I obviously there's people are going, well, so what? So it costs five or ten bucks to go plug it. Well, you're still you're telling this bowler that he's got to spend five or 10 bucks and it's not really for any reason he's going to be able to understand and it's going to be a hassle or they have to buy a new bowling ball. Um, so it's, it's not that it is that big a deal, but it's another thing where you're kind of irritating. It's going to irritate a certain number of bowlers. And it's, you know, I, I don't really understand if, if, if you're really going to do something with ball technology, then you needed to do something really drastic and actually make rules that would really change things. Um, and they didn't do that because obviously if they would have done that, I'm sure there would have been four major ball companies or more uh, filing lawsuits against them uh, on whatever grounds, which USBC certainly probably didn't want to waste time and energy on. So I don't know. I mean, you, you know, you're, you have your own opinions, I'm sure, about that. But I just don't see we haven't really changed the nature of bowling um, in any way. And you've got all these regular bowlers who... Uh, are probably going to show up to bowl on August 1st, 2020 and not know the rule. And somebody in that league is going to be responsible to tell them, you can't have a weight hole in your ball. You can't use that ball. <laughs> and even though that's two years away, you know there are going to be those situations. Fair point, Jeff, as you're going to have that guy who inevitably bowls maybe three games a week and throws that older piece. I know we all see him in leagues still, this bowling in their handicap leagues with their equipment that's 10 or 15 years old, and that guy's going to have to go and have that ball plugged if it has a has a weight hole in it. But um, let's talk a little bit, just a few more minutes on the USBC, on the Open Championships. Have you had any conversations with people that are going to just say the heck with this? 
I'm, I've had to change teams or I've, I've had to do this numerous times already. I'd rather just go bowl something, you know, like the, the greater Ozarks in um, down in Springfield, Missouri, for instance. It's handicapped. I get it. Not the same as winning an Eagle, but they get to bowl with their buddies who they, they want to bowl with. Yeah, anecdotally, I've certainly seen um, statements to that effect. I've gotten messages um, and not certainly not a lot. Um, and uh, who's who knows what's going to happen in the overall scheme of things? Um, the USBC says they have uh, 9,000 entries already for next year, and they're on pace to get to 11,000. They added a week of the tournament. So um, that would be fabulous. I'm not cheering for it to collapse. I, I love the tournament. I want it to go you know, forever. I want to be bowling in it so I can be, uh, you know, Bill Lillard or Joe Norris if I'm still, uh, you know, above ground and in good health. But we'll, we'll see. I, it, it, the, the thing we don't really, we can't really judge is that next year's Las Vegas. Well, Las Vegas is the easiest draw in the world. Everybody likes to go there, especially bowlers. Um, and uh, what, what I want to see is what happens in 2020 in Reno. Um, and which we won't have gone to since 2016, correct? I think that was the last Reno year because 17 was Vegas, 18 Syracuse, um, which was to me a very disappointing total entry since we went out east for the first time uh, in years and years and only got 7,500, although USBC tried to paint it as a victory. I thought it was uh, uh, very disappointing. I was hoping that would be nine or 10,000. Uh, but now we're going to go back to Vegas, and if we get uh, you know 11,000, that would be fabulous but i don't know that that will say much about the rules changes as it will about las vegas and i think 2020 will say more about the rule changes and how people react to them than anything else because we'll be going to um to reno and uh and and i'm sure that that they have uh made happy uh, a significant group of people by adding that second division because there's lots of people that are, are competing better and probably cashing more. And, and I was one that I was never against that. I was always, I, I, if you go back and look down my site, you'd see writing back in the, you know, almost 10 years ago where I was saying they should have classified brackets. I wouldn't be opposed to adding another division. Uh, I don't go to the tournament trying to take money from people who are not at my level and I shouldn't be competing with them. I was always a supporter of, uh, of that. So I, I never had a problem with that. All right. Well, let's, and I, I hope it'll go. I hope it'll, I all want the tournament to prosper. Exactly. Agreed on, on all sediments there. So moving along the PBA also had big announcements and, um, in 2019, going back to a, a more traditional type tour of what we both grew up watching and following back in the eighties and nineties. Um, so regarding that tour, we're starting to hear from some of the players how how they're going to be handling this, but what are you expecting to see from your players, and who are you thinking ultimately are going to be some of your guys that will succeed in these longer form tournament you know tournaments that some of them have never really taken part in? Yeah, well, you know, I, I I'm one of these that always says talent wins out pretty much no matter what, unless you're bowling, you know, one frame at a time or something. If you're, even when we have extra frame events that might only be 15 to 20 games, it's not like fluky people have been winning those. It's been the best bowlers win those. Um, so I, I don't really care much about the format. The one, the one issue that I find interesting is there's a lot of players that haven't bowled the week after week after week after week, and pretty much with only a couple exceptions, they're going to bowl pretty steady for the first three months or so of the year. Um, and I'll be interested to see how, 
how some people handle, you know, not so much the physical strain, but that's a mental strain. I mean, I did it and I wasn't very good at it, but, but I, I remember how, you know, beats, how that beats you down. And, uh, and then part of that that goes into that is there's this whole segment of bowlers now who are stars on tour who the last time there really was a tour going week to week to week, they weren't over here. And I'm referring to uh, the global stars, you know, the globalization of bowling. And I kind of feel I feel good for them because it's great to see the PBA, uh, you know, turning back into more of a of tour and everything with more tournaments. But how is it going to be for Jason Belmonte and Stuart Williams and Dom Barrett and, you know, Jesper Svensson? They're, instead of being away from home for two or three weeks at a time and then going home, um, they could be away from home for, you know, three months. Uh, how are they going to come over here, bowl for a month, have a week off, um, and then fly all the way back and then fly all the way back here? You know, number one, expensive, and number two, those kind of flights are not fun. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how those guys handle that, what they choose to do, and how that impacts their performances. Um, so uh, that's that's one of the things I'm really going to be looking at early in the years to see how some of the overseas players handle. I mean, hopefully they they're hooked up with uh, with people here. And of course, I mentioned Stuart Williams. I probably I probably shouldn't have since he lives in Phoenix now. <laughs> He's more more an American than a lot of them. But but when you talk about Jesper and Jason and and uh, Sam Cooley is another one, Australia, and uh, you know all those guys. That's it's they're far away from home for a long time, and that's that's not easy. It's not like in three days between you can top a two-hour flight home or drive home. Quickly before we go, I want to remind folks, please remember to check out one of our sponsors, BowlingThisMonth.com. Bill and his crew do a great job there, so check them out, BowlingThisMonth.com. Great articles, great ball reviews, tips, everything you need, BowlingThisMonth.com. It's a great website I'm looking right now, seeing uh, some great articles. Here's one by John York titled Free Swinging to Success. That's a key for bowling. But again, check out the website, BowlingThisMonth.com. As we've been talking about the USBC Open Championships, maybe you need to get your team looking sharp. So go to h5gbrands.com, another fine sponsor here of the Above180.com podcast. Do a great job. Thousands of designs. You make your own shirt. It's very simple. you got all different colors, styles, anything to choose from. You can make them as flashy as you want. You can They're going to help you with the design if you want. You can get your whole team. You can just do one by yourself as well. Use promo code ABOVE180. That'll get you $20 off that order. That's promo code ABOVE180. Again, check out h5gbrands.com. Lots of great stuff there. Lots of shirts. Also got pants. Lots of things you can check out. Again, h5gbrands.com. Jeff, the other big story regarding the PBA, a couple of them on the media side of things. Number one, Fox Sports and Fox Sports 1 taking over the broadcast rights away from ESPN there. And Flow Bowling coming into the mix. So let's first so begin with Fox and Fox Sports 1. Now, is Fox Sports 1 as as big as ESPN was? Because I know that's been a concern that some people have regarding when, when things are on CBS Sports Network, which isn't on a, as many people's cable providers and is easy to find for some folks so you inevitably always see that and then the other thing is i know we just had the tba clash was on and i I gotta be honest i really liked what i saw from fox and fox sports where it was replayed and played over um just some of the graphics some of the things they're trying to do on the production side of things but i do ultimately wonder though regarding fox sports and espn being on that same level yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure Fox Sports One is a lot closer to ESPN's penetration than CBS Sports Network, um, in part because of the power of, of 
Fox and uh, and and Murdoch and the the whole company vis-a-vis uh, the, some of the cable and direct TV outlets. They're they're much more tied in and and have a lot more clout. And so I think the Fox Sports One reach is is pretty close. The last I'd seen, pretty close to ESPN, a lot closer than CBS Sports Network anyway. So I don't think that'll be an issue. And then we're going to have four majors that are going to be live on Fox, the broadcast network. So hallelujah there. Um, I think what you're going to see, and I'm kind of waiting here. Tom Clark was thinking that numbers might be available today from Sunday. And um, it's possible those numbers are going to be gigantic relative to what we expect from bowling and then somewhat misleading because if you remember what happened Sunday, most of the country had football games at noon. And then, of course, the stupid Packers had to go ahead and play overtime and then they had to have the postgame thing. So the bowling didn't really start in all these other markets. Instead of at 3.30, it started at 4.15 and that might slow the impact somewhat, but having that lead in of the millions and millions of people watching an NFL game and bowling coming on right after it, the numbers might've been a lot higher than what we'd expect. And I'm going to caution people don't get excited, overexcited by any numbers you might see. And I don't even know how these ratings are going to work. Tom wasn't real sure when I messaged with him the other day, because, you know, some of the shows were for people that didn't have noon games didn't have early window games. They had late window games, so the show was on at one thirty. And then some markets like Green Bay, Milwaukee, uh, I think Miami was one, Dallas was one, didn't even have the bowling until like midnight. And I don't know how those ratings would get put put in there. And, of course, then we have all the replays on FS1 that started Monday night, and I don't think those count at all. So I'm not really sure exactly what we're going to see for ratings, but it might be quite a bit higher than what we expect. And don't expect that to happen going forward because we're not always going to be on after after an NFL game, uh, and it, it won't be on Fox anyway until the majors start, and that's after the NFL season. So, what we're going to see in January is games on or, or shows on FS1, and like the first couple, I think, if I'm not mistaken, are like 10 a.m. They're not against the NFL; they're against the NFL pregame show um, on playoff days. That Fox is is a late window game, I think, that first Sunday, and so they're running bowling at 10 a.m. Central Time. And then their their uh, pregame will be on while the first game is on CBS or whatever it might be. Um, so they won't be directly against the NFL, but they won't have the lead-in of an NFL game too. So um, I'm just just the bottom line: be cautious about the numbers, and I'm going to write them up if Tom sends them out here or gets them. Be very cautious if you see some giant number. Don't don't go jumping to the moon like uh, this is the savior of bowling. If we could follow an NFL game every Sunday and bowling was on right after, oh yeah, we would get big numbers, but that's saying more about the NFL and not as much about bowling. Jeff, the second part of that then would be Flow Bowling coming into the mix here, taking over the streaming rights for the PBA, and full disclosure, I do some podcasts for them as well, but talk about them, and, and it seems to me some of the stuff we've seen from them is what you've heard a lot of bowlers talking about wanting to see when they're watching the PBA stars, and it seems like it's been so far since this transition and since it started, it seems like bowlers for the most part, have been very pleased with what they're seeing on Flow of Bowling. Yeah, it, you, there's no way that the Fox shows, as much as the Fox shows were, were on Sunday, were, were awesome and had some, you know, the spectrum and that advancements over what ESPN has offered us. The difference between Flow Bowling and Extra Frame is like a generational um, advancement with the, you know, we've, we now have cameras on almost every pair and in some tournaments, every pair. So you get to watch whoever you want to watch. If you want to follow your favorite bowler, you get to follow them. So much more of the, the, the technical quality of the production and you got to 
watch it to understand it um, is so much better than extra frame was, and that's because Flow Bowling's putting money into it and uh, and and they're doing all these advancements, and they have people there doing the score. So we've got them on each on each show. You can see the score of the of the players when it's match play. I mean, it's all on and on and on and on. Um, I won't bore people with every single detail, but you can't help but be excited about the quality of that. Um, the problem that I think I'm worried about is that okay, we've if you were an extra frame subscriber, you paid sixty four ninety nine a year, and you were grandfathered in at that. Well, the last I looked, the full flow bowling's actual full price is I believe one forty nine ninety nine a year, and somebody said there'd been a price increase I saw yesterday on a, on a post and I hadn't, didn't have a chance to check that. So it might even be more than one forty nine ninety nine a year. But even if it's one forty nine ninety nine a year, you know, you're talking, you know, what does that work out to, you know, about uh, 15 bucks, 10, you know, it's about twice as much, you know, of a little more than twice as much as you were paying for extra frame. And at some point it's really going to cap the numbers of subscribers, when you're paying that kind of thing. And, and I realize Flow is going to tell us, well, you get all these other channels of you know track and field and whatever. There's so much there. And it is an amazing amount of content. But I'm sorry, if I'm subscribing, I want to watch bowling. That's why I'm doing I don't have time and I don't care about track and all this other stuff. There's a few people that will, sure. But I think the average, as I always say, bowlers are cheap. And I'm sorry, we are <laughs> in, in general. And I think there's a lot of people that, Okay, I'll I'll pay that sixty four ninety nine, but I'm not paying one hundred forty nine ninety nine or whatever it might be, and and I kind of worry that that will cap things, and I hope that they stay with the grandfathered price for at least another year um, and get a full year of the great tour that we're going to have next year and get everybody watching flow for that. And uh, and a disclosure here, too, I was getting sort of the press pass free um, flow bowling or extra frame account, and that continued for a bit, but I actually got charged <laughs> the uh, the 60, it's 68.56 it was with uh, taxes and that, and I, and I paid it. And I had told Tom long ago, I said, I realize this is like a press pass and it's a you know professional courtesy to cover events to free so i don't have any problem with that um it's standard operating procedure but but i let them and when i got charged instead of you know complaining or whatever or saying hey can you get this from me? i said forget it i'm i want to pay this just as a support because i think this product is so good now if it's 150 bucks i might be sending an email <laughs> <laughs> but i but i really don't have a problem paying i kind of felt it's tax deductible too obviously but but i kind of felt a, a bit of pride in paying that 68 bucks because it's supporting a product that I think is really good and can do so much for the PBA. All right. Well, very interesting stuff. I thought a great way to end the year here was, was chatting with you about some of the major stories going on in the bowling world. thought we hit a, a fair share of them there. And, and Jeff, again, where can folks find you? 11thframe.com, right, is the best place to go? Yep. Yep, 11thframe.com. Uh, you can get me there anytime. Um, and uh, most of the stories, obviously, there's only been a handful that are free, but there are a couple I do every now and then that I think are real important and, and need a wide audience. But otherwise, you're paying uh, either 199 a month or 1999 a year, which is 166 a month. And if that's too much for you, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's not it's not even a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So, like you said, come on, we can all, we can all afford that, and um, and and all the great work you do, all the great uh, pieces we see on there as well. So, thank you again, Jeff, and and we'll do it again soon. I know it's been um, it's been a little bit, but uh, I thought it'd be great to catch up, like I said here, as we close out 2018 and move forward into 2019. 
Always my pleasure. It's certainly an exciting year we have ahead of us and uh, certainly keep me busy and not sleeping very much, but well worth it. I, I can't wait to see what 2019 brings, for, especially for the PBA.